Uh, just a, uh, earlier this year, our, our council took a retreat, an in-house council retreat uh, on generosity. It wasn't about giving to the church specifically or anything like that. It was just being a generous person. It was really a, a rich and fun time, and I, I think I appreciated the council being able to get together and just gather like that, but it was also fun. Uh, we had our friend of the congregation, Brad Brestel, come and do a, a retreat on being generous um, that's called Journey to Generosity. It's offered by an organization who wants none of your money because it's all self-funded. They just want people to be more generous. And it's very biblically based, very interesting. And so um, there was, as I was writing things down, making notes during the retreat, I happened to write down this phrase, give like an athlete. And then a, a couple weeks ago, as I'd already worked out this sort of sermon series in my head, uh, I contacted Brad, who... Uh, did the retreat for us, and I said, well, where did this come up in the whole thing? Was this in one of the videos we watched? Was this in some of the curriculum? He said, I don't recognize it. must be your line. Good work. And so I said, well, that sounds like a good title. So, but it really fits with, I think, what uh, one way that we can think about developing this in our own lives is to do it like an athlete, to give like an athlete, to train and train and train and become more generous as we discipline ourselves and, and develop that uh, virtue within us. Because as disciples of Christ, our goal is to be formed into the image of Christ, to be like Jesus Christ. And if that's going to be the case, everything about us must be transformed, right? Not just my mind, but my wallet needs to be transformed as well. All of it, everything about me has to be changed. And our spending habits come along with that. Our time and our use of time, our use of energy, all of that comes into play. And we should be thankful. This is one thing I want us to catch, because we're going to end this whole sermon series with the issue of thankfulness. We should be thankful. Why? Because we have a generous God. We have a God who is so generous with us, and if we're supposed to be like that very God, we're supposed to be generous too, and grow into that generosity, just as God has been generous to us. Yet we live in a culture that always desires more, don't we? They, there's just this constant desire for more, and we, we get wrapped up in it far too easily. 2015, credit card debt on average for the country was $15,675 for a household. Most of that, I'm going to guess, is a desire for more an absolute desire to have more than we have now. And we buy into this sort of idea that if you make more, you spend more, that bigger is better, and so we should always have bigger and more and better. As if these are the virtues that we need to develop in our lives, as if this is the character that we want, just to be bigger and better and have more and keep up, whatever it might be. And so we put ourselves in these crazy circumstances in order to have that. But yet as disciples of Jesus Christ, we need good discernment, is what we need, when it comes to spending. When it comes to how we use our money and our energy and our time, and I'm going to focus on money specifically over these next few weeks, but that doesn't exclude the other areas. This is just one of the tough areas. This is one of the areas that's so personal to us, as Luther, Martin Luther says, the, bat, the wallet is the last thing to be baptized. It's the thing we hold on tightly. We have this desire, but we need good discernment on what is a want versus a need. Our culture wants to cross those lines all the time. We need good discernment on God's priorities versus 
our priorities, if we're being transformed to be like Christ, we need God's priorities. And that affects every part of our lives. And so we can ask something as simple as, what is God's desire for you and for me when it comes to stuff, but especially money? When it comes to the things of this world that can have such a tight hold on us, what is God's desire for us? So we're getting around that kind of issue, looking at God's generosity towards us, and that we need to be transformed and be as generous as God is, or as close as we can be in human terms. And so I want to look at two passages today. We're going to look at Proverbs 11. We've got three verses we'll look at here, and then we'll end with 1 Corinthians 9. So let's go to Proverbs 11 first, and we're going to start at verse 1. Because that sets the stage. If you were to read the rest of Proverbs 11, you can see that Proverbs 11.1 kind of sets the stage for the whole thing. It simply says, The Lord detests dishonest scales, but accurate weights find favor with him. It's a very physical problem in the ancient world to have dishonest scales. If you were doing commerce, you've got some form of money, a shekel, let's say, or you've got some form of goods that you need to weigh out. And there was a standard. I was reading about it this week. Sometimes it was a little hard to figure out, but there was a standard that was kept in the temple of what a shekel ought to weigh and what different measurements ought to be. But of course, not everybody had access to that. So if you're weighing out money with somebody on a scale to weigh it out, you're really not relying so much simply on the weight. You have to rely on the character of the person you're exchanging with. Or you have to trust that they're using accurate weights. Sure, there might have been some, some uh, variance. You know, somebody might not have exactly the weight. But you want to know that they're not trying to pull one over on you. That they're not trying to get more for less just because they have this desire, this greed in them that's overtaking them. So, it's, yeah, it's a physical issue, but there's a character issue that, that Proverbs 11 is really getting out here. Our character matters. Can we be trusted before others? Can we be trusted before God? Or are we just trying to get the maximum benefit we can out of God with the minimum amount of transformation, change, and sacrifice? Can we be trusted? The Lord detests these uh, dishonest scales. I detest tomatoes. I try three times a year. I taste them. They are awful still after all these years. They're terrible. I want to like them. I really do, but I detest them. Now, I actually do eat and swallow, but then I drink a lot of water and anything else I can to get the taste out of my mouth immediately. My kids are trying to convert me to like tomatoes. In fact, it's one of those foods that if you tell people they don't like it, what do they try and do? They don't say, oh, that's a good thing. Yeah, that's right. They either don't like it with you, or they say, well, you just haven't tried them fresh or with Dorothy Lynch on them or whatever it is, you know, or sugar or salt or any. No, they're fresh or they're worse. They taste more like tomatoes. I detest, but the Lord, we're told here, the Lord detests. He doesn't swallow it. He's going to spit it out. And, and in some of your translations, it said it's an abomination to have dishonest scales. God wants something out of you and me. God wants virtue and character to be developed in us. That's really what's behind all of what you see in Proverbs 11. What's been transformed in me if I'm a disciple of Christ? Where is my heart when it comes to God's heart? Does it line up? Am I willing to give my soul for the stuff around me? Or does it belong to God? 
that's at the heart of what Proverbs 11 is getting at. We get upset, and rightly so. We've had a, a recent example of a CEO getting away with millions, right? And I'm not going to put him on trial here. I know that that's a whole different matter, but, but we get these cases every so often where it seems like a CEO of a major bank or a major corporation or something like that has had some dishonest knowledge, if nothing else, and has profited greatly from that and gets a golden parachute. We get upset about that. Rightly so, if it's, if it's true and it's an injustice that's been done, and it's unfortunate. One of the interesting questions, because we need to scale the problem to us then, as we look at that and we say, well, that's disgusting that they would cheat people like that for money. Millions. The journey to generosity that we, we went over as a council asked a number of good questions, and, and here are two of them right now. One of the questions it asked is, how much money do I need? Ask yourself that. And will my answer always be more? Because we can get disgusted that somebody would steal millions and millions of dollars from folks in an effort to always have more, but we have to ask ourselves, do I actually have the same attitude without realizing it? Now, maybe it, we, we'd, we wouldn't bend the corners as much, right, if it's, or at all, if it's a dollar or ten dollars or a hundred dollars or a thousand dollars, but all of a sudden, if, if my answer were, yeah, I always want more than I have to feel safety and security and whatever it is, if millions were on the line, would I all of a sudden just kind of cut some corners? What's the desire in my heart? really. Where is my heart? Do I always want more than I have? Will I ever have enough and contentment? I was struck years ago by the story of John Wesley, uh, who you would know from the Methodist Church, perhaps he's the founder, or all Wesleyan denominations, basically, uh, living in the 1700s. John Wesley was a, a good man and a remarkable man, and one of the things that I think is so remarkable about him um, he had good character, of course. He was very disciplined in life. And he made a very good living. And, and he figured out, he started making well more than he needed in life. And he said, I figured out how much I needed to live so that I could survive, so that I'd have a home, so that I'd have food, and so I wouldn't be a burden to anybody else. And he said, all of the excess, I give away. All of it, I give away. In fact, you read, if you read his works, there's one point at which he's writing about the fact that he has extra money in his pocket. This is very late in his life. He doesn't need that money, and his burden that day is to get rid of it before the day is out to somebody who does need it. That was his heart. I know what I need. I don't need more. I need to be generous with what's left, with the excess, with all of this that's here for other people. Do we always need more, or is there a point at which we could say, this is enough, this is all I need? Let's look further at Proverbs 11, look at verses 24 and 25, where it says, One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Let's not hear prosperity gospel here, because that's not what it's saying. Verse 24 does not mean if you give more money, you're going to get more money. That's not at all what it's saying, because it's the whole of Proverbs 11 has been focusing actually on your character and your virtue, not just the amount you give or what you give. It's talking about your generosity and your openness to actually be giving, 
That's what it's talking about, about being righteous in who you are inside. Another way to look at it is, is, and we need to live to be a blessing. That's the point I want to make here. That's the point I think it's suggesting to us. If you look at this from the Revised Standard Version and focus on the second verse, you get a little clearer picture. It states it well. Uh, The first part says, one man gives freely, it grows all the richer. Almost the same as what we read. The second verse, part of it says, another withholds what he should give. You hear that? Withholds what he should give and suffers want. One thing we have to recognize about the things in our possession, homes, money, even I've discovered this about children, we're stewards. We are stewards, not the owner. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. We are but stewards in this world of what God gives us. And if you look at this, there's a virtue and a character about this. One who gives, there's an effect that you're going to, in fact, feel and experience by giving that you wouldn't experience by withholding. I've never felt guilty for giving. Never. And even when people do feel bad about giving, it's typically because they gave to an organization that was doing something wrong. And they feel, man, I wish I would have just researched the organization more. I wish I would have known that I wouldn't have given. But they don't actually feel bad about giving the money. They feel about bad about giving it to that organization. The only time I ever feel bad about giving more is when I, or giving is when I felt like I should have given more, right? When I withheld. And I only regret when it comes to giving when I don't give. I've never felt bad about giving. That's what this is getting at. A generous person, verse 25 goes on to say, a generous person. Some of you have a liberal person or a person of liberality there. It literally translates a soul of blessing. Soul being used in the Old Testament sense of the whole person. The whole person. A soul of blessing. Isn't that a great line? To be a soul of blessing, that gets much more at that virtue issue than simply giving away a certain amount. It's a question of who are you? Am I a generous person or not? Because when when we reflect on it, everything we do in life, the small choices and the big choices form who we are. Even though they're an outworking of who we are, they also form who we are. So the more we do those things, the more we become those very things that we do. If we give more or if we're more generous, that's going to continue to develop in us a generosity. If we withhold more, That might develop in us a withholding generosity. God's been so generous to us, we need to develop that within us. For some of us, it's a natural tendency. For others of us, this is a hard one. It's a hard battle. But we need to develop that. Roy Disney, nephew of uh, Walt, said, it's not hard to make decisions once you know what your values are. So we can continue to ask, are the actions that I'm choosing working to transform me into the image of Christ? Is my generosity or the way I am generous showing that I reflect a generous God who's been generous towards me, who's been graceful towards me when I didn't deserve it? We need to live to be a blessing if we're transformed by Christ. Sometimes I'm slow to catch on to things, um, I'd pause for laughter for my wife on that one, but I studied monks and nuns uh, when I was doing my graduate degree years ago. I'm fascinated by them. Um, and it, 
I, I did it for a couple years. I wrote about them quite a lot. And it didn't, it didn't strike me until the end. They use words like discipline or the big word in, in the monk world, and especially in the early days, was asceticism, to be an ascetic, right? Somebody who trains. That's all it is, the Greek word for training. Um, discipline is another word like it, right? That's a, they're athletic words, as it turns out. It, didn't, it took me until the end of my studies to realize these guys are just Christian athletes. That's all they are. They're living in caves or living in monasteries, fasting and praying and studying scripture, uh, practicing silence and solitude, and all these different Christian disciplines on a regular basis. They're just athletes training in the spiritual realm. It took me a long time to figure this out. But if we're going to live to be a blessing, we need to be the same way about generosity and everything else in our Christian life and train like an athlete to be a blessing. There's a discipline about it, a regularity about the practice that can grow in us generosity. And a blessing, simply we've used it now uh, all throughout the sermon, a blessing is simply God's favor shown to you and to me. That's what it is. And I don't know if you realize this, but we can actually bless God as well by returning the favor. All the law, Jesus says, hangs on two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. What are we doing in those cases but blessing? That's what we're doing. We're showing God's favor back to God. We're showing God's favor to others because God said that's what we're supposed to do. That's what I do to you. Now you do that. We can bless God. We need to train for that. And there are two areas that we Christians tend to let ourselves off the hook when it comes to discipline. One is evangelism. Somebody else will do it, right? Somebody else will always do it. That's what we think. Somebody else will always reach my coworker for Christ, even though I'm the only Christian in here. Someone else will always reach my family members for Christ. And the other area uh, is in giving. We could broaden this out and, and say both it's in financial giving and in service within the church. Now, we're part of both a denomination that's actually quite above the average in giving and a congregation that's above average in giving. So this is not as much of a struggle for us as a people, the giving part financially. I'm quite thankful for that. I'm quite thankful that, that we have given so well and we continue to give so well and so faithfully. But this is one of those areas that we can continue to mark and ask deeper questions about our generosity. Journey to Generosity asked, as I said, uh, how much do I need to survive, basically, and will my answer always be more? And we can get caught up then as we talk about New Testament giving uh, versus Old Testament giving. People, you can go online. If you go online and search tithe, you'll be astounded at how much there is and how much people say about, yes, you should, absolutely, no, you shouldn't, absolutely, and people will say, well, the New Testament doesn't ever talk about it. Jesus talks about it just a little bit, never directly, indirectly. But if you want to narrow it down to what our New Testament standard is for giving, how much did Jesus give? All. Everything on the cross, didn't he? There's your standard. That doesn't mean we have to give away all the possessions that we have. It does ask a question about our heart. What are we willing to give if Jesus gave everything? What does that ask of me? How much do I need to survive? Where's my hope is really what that question is asking. Will my answer always be more? The question goes on and asks a third question. It says, or can I set a finish line for myself and give away everything beyond that? Can I say this is enough and I recognize I'm a steward of what God has given me? 
and I don't need X amount. I just don't. I can give away. Small groups, by the way, you're going to be contending with some of these very questions this week. And if you want to look on the small group notes, everybody, there are videos in this website. You can look at some of these further things that this resource has. I wanted you to give you that. There's some powerful videos on there. We need to train to be a blessing and really analyze in ourselves how generous we are. Let's turn to our other uh, passage here this morning, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, and talk about this element of training, because here Paul uses athletic language very clearly. Paul says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul's talking about a total transformation, but a determination here and a clear goal of what's the end. We've had over the last couple of months, not a lot of rain, but enough and some wind, and it knocked down. Uh, we have some very large trees in our yard. I love having old trees, but of course, then you have limbs that come down. We've had a couple really big ones come down. One that was so big that when I was moving it, an owl flew out of it. It was that big of a limb that came down. And then it glared at me for about 10 minutes and left. It didn't like that I disturbed its sleep. Cut down the limb, but if you let it sit there for a while, what happens to the leaves? They dry out perishable. Paul says, if you look at the games, and you look at the games in the ancient world, what were people doing? Training and training and training as an athlete to get what? They'd put in every ounce of energy into the race to get a crown made of leaves. And what's going to happen to that crown in the week? Pretty much wilted. Paul says, don't, don't put all your energy into something that's just going to do that. Put all of your energy, he says, into the things that are imperishable. Don't put all your energy into things that are now things that are just going to get dusty and moldy and rusty, but into eternal things and into your eternal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Don't train for the crown that wilts. Train for the crown that lasts, he says. That's the difference. If you're going to put your energy in, put it all in and put it in for the right thing. Know the goal. I want to talk about one specific area of giving today as we close out here in a moment, but I want to point out that, that what we're going to talk about are, are what are, are three P's of giving. And I'm going to credit the president of the covenant, Gary Walter, for these. They're floating around in our denomination all over the place. I think they're great. So Gary says that uh, if we think of giving, he's talking to churches but we think of it uh, in individuals, it works just as well. Think of percentage giving as priority giving and pro progressive giving. That is to say percentage in proportion to your income. We don't, uh, people, if you're going to be generous, God doesn't say everybody should give the exact same amount when we're talking about the tithe, for instance, in the Old Testament. No, it was percentage giving. Give in proportion to what you have. That rule still applies, 
whether or not we could talk about what biblical scholars say about the tithe and how that works out, it still applies that we give a proportion of what we have or a portion of that. Second, the priority giving is really the principle of first fruits. Give your best to God. There are multiple examples in the Bible where people didn't give their best and it didn't work out as well. Then the third is progressive, that is increasing faithfulness over time. But let's just talk about the percentage issue for a moment. Really, in in its simplest terms, this is just set the pace of what you're going to give. And I'm not simply talking about giving to First Covenant here. Let's talk generosity. Let's talk broadly still. But Paul tells us to train like an athlete for total transformation for the prize that's coming. It's not simply about uh, economics. It's not simply about finances, but you can apply it very easily to there. Compete like everything is on the line and all that you have, disciples of Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, that's what we're doing. That's the job we have. That's the battle we're in. We're supposed to compete with all that we have. And so I would say, as you consider generosity and your generosity in life, assess your needs, right? We've been talking about this with John Wesley and with others. What are the wants versus needs in your life? We have to assess that first and foremost. It doesn't mean we can't have nice things. That's not at all what we should say. But it does mean that sometimes we do cross those lines even in our own life. I'm having some problems here, sorry. Assess the needs in your life. Recently in our own home, we've been in the business of giving away and getting rid of stuff. We've got a lot of it in our home. And I've got to tell you, I'm a pack rat. I know I'm a pack rat. I've been trying to get over being a pack rat for many years. And we're giving away stuff. You know what? I'm happier when I get rid of stuff now. I am happier to get rid of things out of my house that I don't need and haven't used in years. Because my, my mind thinks, oh, I might need this down the line. And then I realize once I've gotten rid of it, I forget about it. I don't need it. Assess our needs. Sometimes we think we need it so bad. And I get tech envy, and I get, you know, I get covetous like anybody else. We don't need it. We need to get over it. Assess your need. Secondly, know the goal. Paul told us the goal. The goal is life, not death. The goal is eternity with God, not separation from God. It's that big. It's that important. And those decisions are worked out in the small things in life where we're going to put our hope. The stuff around us that tries to steal that hope from us to take some of that hope. Paul says, run for the crown that's going to last, not the one that's going to decay in a week. Thirdly, set the pace. Make a plan. We give around our house. We give to multiple things and multiple organizations and a couple of sponsored children. And it does stretch things, but we also plan it in like it's our bills, right? It's still giving. It's still generosity, but we do it with our monthly bills. Whenever we pay a, pay a bill, we do it twice a month, you know, when the bills are due, and that's figured in. We've planned it. And I never feel guilty about giving more, but we do it in proportion to what we have. That works really well. But that's what we're called to do, to give, to be generous, and to train to do that. Let me round it out with this. I want to point out that when we had our economic downturn in 2008, I don't know if uh, I pay attention to this because I'm in church life, uh, what's the first thing to go in people's budgets usually? It's not cable right away. It's not dry cleaning right away. It's charitable giving that goes away immediately. 
for so many people. Some people hang on a little longer, but it goes away. Churches, of course, face that, because then I have colleagues who are then out of work. Now, what's the last thing to come back when the economy gets better? By that point, cable's been added back in. At that point, dry cleaning has been done. It's giving to charitable organizations and churches and nonprofits. How generous are we? As a church, I'm really thankful that we kept our priorities through that time. As a church, we continue to contribute at a regular level to the conference and denomination at 10% and 5%. We didn't give up. We didn't say, oh, things are bad, so now we're going to just cut our percentage giving. No, we said, we're going to keep this commitment. This is important that we give as a people as well. As individuals, I know that whenever Stephanie and I, we've looked at our budget, I rarely think about lowering our percentage of giving to anything. Uh, you know, we haven't always been great givers, but we've trained ourselves to be good givers over the years. We've had very generous examples in both of our sets of parents. But whenever I think about lowering it, which doesn't happen very often, I feel bad. I feel kind of, I feel almost shameful. Why would I lower this? There are, there are reasons you can lower it. I'm not saying there, there aren't. But, but I don't feel better when I think about that. In fact, we increased recently the gifts towards the pastor of student ministries. We can't do it a lot, but we increased. I felt better. I felt good. I don't feel better when I think about lowering that, when I feel like, when I think about changing that. Proverbs says a generous person will prof prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. May we be transformed and generous like our God is generous and experience the richness that comes with that, not in monetary terms, but the blessing that comes because we were a blessing to others. Let's pray. God, thank you that you have been so generous to us. You gave your only son to us that we could be your children. You didn't let us exist as estranged from the family, but you said, I want to adopt you into my family. I want to bring you in and lavish on you my love. And I'm not going to leave you alone. Your son even told us that. I want to charge you, Jesus told us, to go into the world and tell everybody about me. And I'm with you everywhere you go. God, would we be marked by such generosity and character in our own lives that you've shown to us. May we be transformed in the image of your Son. And for all of us who sit here, God, today, who are uh, generous and have grown into that, we say thanks. And for those of us who sit here today and say, boy, this is a tough one. I don't like what the pastor's saying. I don't like what Proverbs is telling me. I'm not sure I can run like Paul's saying. God, send your spirit in this place and walk with that person. Show your sustaining uh, character and your sustaining presence through your spirit to all of us sitting in this room that you will take care of us because we are stewards, not the owners. Because it's your stuff, not ours. God, we give ourselves to you today as your people. We pray this in your name. Amen.